Hello, everyone. It's your old friend, Joe. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2021. It's one of those years that's, that has sequential numbers embedded in it, like 1920 or 1819. It's 2021, and it only happens every 101 years. Yes, number nerds. <laughs> it's, this is really special news for somebody. Glad to uh, glad to be with you on this uh, beautiful um, January second is when I'm recording this. It's on Saturday. I typically record these on Saturday afternoons when I have a moment to myself, and I'm glad to spend it with you. In any case, uh, let me once again repeat my um, standard disclaimer, which I will do for the first time in 2021. The opinions expressed on Strange Sound are my own, no one else's. They do not represent the views of anyone I'm associated with, not my employer, not my family, not my friends, not my neighbors, not my uh, Facebook friends, not uh, people who follow me on Twitter. No one, no one agrees with me whatsoever. So uh, this is really just down to me. I'm exercising my First Amendment right to free speech which is perhaps our most valued right. Um, and as people who have listened to this podcast know, and there's probably a handful of you out there, I'm not a bomb thrower. I'm not trying to encourage people to do crazy things. I'm just expressing my opinions and hoping that I can find others who uh, share those opinions and with whom some of my views may resonate um, I'd be glad to hear other people's views. I listen to other people's views all the time, in fact, on podcasts and following them on Twitter and reading their articles and all kinds of things. So, uh, as I've said many times before, I'd like to turn this into a conversation. But as I am the only one uh, participating in the conversation at this point, it's still kind of a monologue. So, I will continue with that process and thank you for listening. Once again, Happy New Year. Hopefully it's going to be a much better year than 2020 was. Uh, that's a low bar. A very low bar. 2020 was a horrible year in so many different ways. It had a couple of bright spots, but pretty much uh, uh, shining light into the darkness, I would say. Um, we are in a very bad spot. And... There really seems to be no indication from the current administration, the outgoing administration, whether it knows it or not, the Trump administration on its way out the door um, doesn't seem inclined to facilitate uh, the immunization process all that much beyond what they've established as their self-imposed limits of just delivering <laughs> <laughs> arranging for the delivery of the vaccine to the states, whereby the states would re would distribute those vaccines um, according to their ability, um, which is limited. And uh, as everyone knows, and everyone should know, if you don't know, you should know, that the states are strapped right now. Um, I think they're doing the best they can, uh, most of them, but it's... Uh, <laughs> They do not have the resources to um, to push this program forward. 
this vaccination program. Only the federal government has the resources to do this. Only the federal government has the, the money. It has the logistical resources. It has the manpower, um, the person power, I should say. And it can do this. But it takes um, determination on the part of our leaders and certainly on the part of the administration. The administration is asleep at the switch right now. They really don't care about this. It's evident that they don't care about this. This is not a concern. This is no longer a concern to them. I don't think it ever was. This is simply not a priority. They did not want to have to deal with this, and they don't want to deal with it now. It's just not important to them. So uh, they're not going to do anything. And uh, as it stands right now, I think we're still south of... 3 million people inoculated. They had promised to have 20 million inoculated by the end of the year. Um, The year 2020, I should say. Uh, We reached the end and it was somewhere between 2 and 3 million people inoculated. That is a very poor performance. Losers. And at this rate, as you've likely heard elsewhere... Because it's a two-shot regimen, at this rate, we're talking about, you know, 10 years before everyone gets inoculated. Now, unless this is some kind of miracle vaccine, your COVID immunity when you receive this vaccine is not going to last 10 years. (laughs) It's probably not even going to last one year. We need to have a comprehensive national plan for vaccinating people and for keeping them vaccinated right? We need to have a program like we have a flu program, a flu vaccine program, except more aggressively because this is something that has not yet been established. We do not have it as part of our healthcare system. Uh, Whereas the um, the flu vaccine, the annual flu vaccine is a regular part of, of the, um, medical regimen of the United States. It's, it's voluntary, obviously. Some people are required to get it, but it's mostly voluntary. And, you know, not everyone gets it. But it's, <laughs> we're not talking about like killer flu epidemics to the extent that, that it's anywhere near what's happened with COVID, which is pushing 350,000 deaths as I record this. It's just insane. This is insane. And I have to say, and I think I've said this in previous episodes, I was somebody who was always of the opinion that if there's a massive challenge facing the United States, that we would rise to meet that challenge. There's this little sliver of optimism in me that remains after all that I've seen through my life and all of the failures I've seen on the part of our, of our nation to respond in appropriate ways, or to restrain itself when necessary. There's still this sliver of optimism that told me if we were faced with something like World War II or the Great Depression, that we would actually rise to the occasion and that we would actually do what it was that we needed to do. The jury is still out on this, but so far, so far I see no indication I see no indication that we're willing to meet this challenge at the scale at which it presents itself to us, that our response is going to be of an appropriate scale to the problem. 
We'll see. We'll see when the transition to the Biden administration um, is complete, if that is going to make the difference. I don't know. Maybe it will. I hope so. I hope so, because we need a national program. We need a comprehensive national program to face this down. This is like being invaded by invisible aliens who are killing us. If you can pretend for a moment that this is kind of like one of those sci-fi movies, like, uh, I don't know, name one, The Triffids, right? (laughs) Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's basically the same thing, right? COVID is like a space alien that's killing us by the hundreds of thousands. And we're just walking around whistling. And there's a lot of people out there who aren't wearing their fucking masks or social distancing. We're going to see the consequences of this in a few weeks because the holiday season is just coming to a close right now. We've had Christmas. We've had other holidays coincident with Christmas. uh, And we've had New Year's. And these are big family holidays. And people traveled like they haven't traveled for nine months. Those airports were crammed. There's been a lot of human interaction over the last 10 days. And we're going to see the consequences of this, just like we saw the consequences after Halloween, after Thanksgiving, about halfway through January. And we're starting from a very high baseline. We're starting from a baseline that's somewhere between three and 4,000 dead a day and 200,000 additional cases a day. This is nuts. This is totally nuts. So we'll see. We'll see what happens in January. And we'll see if we are willing as a society to respond to this at scale. I like to believe that we still have this in us. I like to believe that we can still match the commitment of the people in the 1930s and 1940s who stood up and did something when we were faced with the Great Depression or when we were faced with the Second World War, that we were willing to stand up on our hind legs and do something about it. And we'll see. We'll see if we're up to it. In any case, what was I going to talk about today? Well, not so much that. I'm not going to go on for very long today because, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't have that much to say. It's a new year. But I did want to comment on something. I was listening to uh, Michael Morris' podcast this past week. He did a show on... uh, It was just after the new year, and he was talking about the uh, Battle of Wounded Knee, so-called. Actually, it wasn't a battle at all. It was a massacre. And... Wounded Knee was indeed a massacre. Um, In 1890, it was the final battle of what was called the Indian Wars, and it wasn't a battle. It was a massacre. Uh, You can look up the particulars of this, but the number of dead, numbers somewhere between two and 300, uh, killed by the U.S. military, Mostly unarmed, uh, women and children, the usual story. And uh, 
Uh, yeah, Michael talked about this, you know, in in a in a pretty intelligent way. Uh, I I can't really do a better job than he did. He did sort of uh, draw a comparison between that and you kind of drew a line from that to um, the Christmas bombing in uh, in 1972 uh, when we bombed Hanoi Haiphong. Uh, when the Nixon administration was dropping bombs on North Vietnam to um, to sort of press their case in the Paris peace talks. They didn't like some of the terms that the uh, Vietnamese were insisting on um, that had to do with the sovereignty of their country. <laughs> um, but they eventually ended up signing up to a, a peace agreement um, I won't get into detail on this, but the peace agreement that they signed was more or less along the lines of what had been proposed before the bombing. There's very little difference. They really did it just as a punitive measure, I think. Anyway, I understand the comparison because it was kind of a Christmas time thing. I get it. I understand. Um, But I, I, I think it occurred to me that there are other comparisons that could be made that are a little bit more along the lines of what um, the Wounded Knee Massacre was like. Um, the first one that comes to mind is, is My Lai. I mean, you can you can basically draw a straight line between Wounded Knee and My Lai. It was the American military just losing its mind. And I I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like My Lai was such an unusual incident in the context of the Vietnam War. It really wasn't. Uh, I recommend you read um, Nick Terse's writing on this. Uh, his book, I believe it's "Kill Anything That Moves" by Nick Terse. It's a number of years old now, but it's it's a very granular account of some of the ground war in. In the ground campaigns in um, during the Vietnam War, the American War in Vietnam, I should say, and uh, it's it's just uh, it's a record of brutality that I think every American should read, so that they have a fullish understanding of what the Vietnam War was like. Now, the My Lai massacre was publicized and it was a particularly heinous one in which um more than 3 or 400 Vietnamese were killed uh villagers women children men old men um really more like 500 because it was a couple of hamlets that were that were shot up it wasn't just Milai but it was a neighboring hamlet as well and uh yeah it's pretty ugly uh, it was more or less um, covered up, right? It happened um, in 1968. This is during the massive um, counterinsurgency campaign that the American uh, military was was involved in. At that at that point, this was in the wake of the Tet Offensive. And they were just grinding the the Southern uh, rebellion to a pulp, along with the society 
from which it was drawn. <laughs> and this included villages like Milai. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty sickening. But it's, in its contours, it's very similar um, to the Wounded Knee Massacre in terms of the scale of it and in terms of the the sort of um, the process, you know. Uh, I mean, you can look at the particulars of the, of the incidents and it will give you some idea. But I, my main point here is that there is a level of consistency uh, between what our army was doing in Indian country back in the 1890s and what our army was doing in South Vietnam, which uh, the army did refer to as Indian country, I should say, <laughs> back in the day, um, back in 1968, and prior to that, and subsequent to that. Um, the degree of murderous behavior um, basically expected of, of the troops that were deployed there um, is blood-curdling. And it's a, you know, it's a long American tradition, frankly. And it's one that didn't stop with Milai. Or Vietnam, I should say. Um, and I don't want to skip over the other wars that happened between the Indian Wars and the Vietnam War. There's plenty of massacring to go around, but these are, uh, these are kind of outstanding cases. Um, the next one I would talk about would be Nisar Square, and that has gained new relevance in recent weeks because Donald Trump um, pardoned the contractors who were convicted of killing 17 people, unarmed civilians, in Nisar Square in Baghdad in 2007. Um, Blackwater contractors... Uh, they were finally jailed and Trump released them because, I don't know, because America. <laughs> because he wants to identify himself with a kind of chauvinist, uh, martial um, set of values that says anything that American personnel do overseas, whether they be contractors or regular military, um, is excusable. doesn't matter what it is. There are a lot of levels to that issue. Um, I think the people who um, started the war and the people who managed the war from a distance are, and, and even the people who elected those people, including the governed, you know, people who didn't vote for Bush, for instance. Um, I think people like us um, are just as responsible for things like Nisor Square as the people who did the shooting because those people wouldn't have been there if it hadn't been for the fact that we tolerated the invasion of Iraq in 2003 and the extension of that invasion through the 2000s and into the 2010s. Yeah, we're all responsible to some degree. But the degree to which someone was held accountable, that amounted to the um, the jailing of some of the people involved in the Nisar Square massacre, which, if you look at it, is very similar. 
It's very similar to um, Wounded Knee. It's very similar to Milai and some of its contours. It's just fighting men going crazy and shooting their guns randomly and just shooting everything in sight in the name of America. Okay, so that was 2007. Uh, Since then, right? Hasn't stopped, right? This is ongoing. This continues. The Yemen raid in 2017, for instance, this was reported in uh, in The Intercept. El Gael, I'm probably mispronouncing the name of the village. Um, January 29th, 2017, in Yemen, our military was sent in by the Trump administration, uh, supposedly looking for an Al-Qaeda leader or a ISIS leader. I don't know which. One or the other, what what difference does it make? Um, That person was not there. (laughs) And they shot the place up. And they killed a bunch of people. Um, And they, they, they shot up a village. Nothing new. And nothing that hasn't been repeated since. I mean, as recently as the year before last... We had, and this has recently come to light through um, the reporting of a um, intercept reporter by the name of, um, this is an Afghan death squad story, basically. His name is Quilty, Andrew Quilty. He's an Australian reporter. And he wrote about these uh, CIA-guided Afghan raids on madrasas in Afghanistan. And this is in Wardak province. Uh, It's a central Afghan province. And these are uh, raids by the Afghan, by uh, uh, an elite unit of Afghan uh, military personnel um, with American advisors, likely from the CIA, uh, where they were raiding madrasas or religious schools and killing boys. They killed a dozen boys in this one raid that's reported on here. A number of wounded. And it's part of a reign of terror that uh, this reporter documented about 10 raids that resulted in at least 50 killings. All boys at these schools. Now, again, these are Afghan soldiers that are doing most of the killing. But they are being guided and they are being advised by Americans, probably CIA. And this is this is this was being done in our name. It may still be happening. What was happening in 2018 when this when these incidents that were being reported on by this particular reporter, Quilty, um, what was happening at the time was they were trying to get the Taliban to the bargaining table, the negotiating table, and they were applying pressure. Now, this may have been a priority for these Afghan special forces because they see the students in these madrasas as future adversaries, people who, because the uh, Taliban draws uh, recruits from the madrasas as well as from other 
other sources, I'm sure, but a lot of the recruits come from come up through these madrasas. Uh, now that, I mean, the idea that you would be killing young boys because one day they may be uh, fighting you um, in the Taliban uniform is is just heinous. It's heinous. And what they're doing is effectively, <laughs> they're effectively setting up the opposition to, to their government um, into perpetuity. Uh, this reporter talks to the parents of some of these, these students. And these people are, you know, their lives have been shattered by this. They lost their children. Their children were killed in these raids. This one father, I think, lost two boys. One of them had needed new shoes. They were going to send them new shoes. And he was murdered. And this father is just like out of his mind with grief. And it wouldn't be surprising at all if that father, you know, ended up blowing himself up and taking as many of the Afghan soldiers with him as he possibly can. It wouldn't be surprising at all. It's just, this is a crazy thing to do. It's not only strategically crazy, it is just heinous. It's heinous that they would do this. This is what's called helping the Afghan people. Just like Nisar Square was helping the Iraqi people. When one of the one of the people that was was affected by the Nisar Square massacre was a father who fully supported the American invasion. It was a strong supporter of the overthrow of Saddam Hussein. And they killed his son. And now those people weren't being held accountable. That's somebody who was favorably disposed to our policy. Not anymore. Not sorry to see Saddam go, obviously. But just as an example, not a happy customer. So I guess my overall point here, and I'm getting it's getting a little bit cloudy by, you know, some random detail here, so I apologize. But my overall point is simply that there's a sickening consistency in how we how we conduct ourselves both overseas and essentially in our in our imperial military efforts. In the 1890s, it was a, it was a question of establishing white supremacy through the West and stamping out what remained of the indigenous population, just getting rid of them, just finishing the process that we had begun centuries before that, getting rid of them, and that was the frontier. I mean, the uh, the American military is the force that stands between. Um, white America and any place that we that we consider the frontier that is um, territory that we want to either control or dominate or own. And that was the story in Wounded Knee. That was the story in South Vietnam in 1968. That was the story in Iraq in 2007. That's certainly the story in Yemen in 2017 and in Afghanistan in 2018 and certainly before that. The story continues, right? 
This is just the same story over and over again. I'd like to be able to say that we're heading for a more sane foreign policy, but I can't say that because I'm looking at the incoming Biden team and I see more consistency than departure. We'll see what they do, but my guess is that they're going to continue this and they're going to try to build back the empire. Not that Trump has undermined the empire all that much. He's frayed some of our alliances. He's done some really stupid things. But has he undermined um, the sort of hegemonic killing machine that we deploy all around the world? No, I don't think so. Fundamentally, not really. It's the same deal as it always was. Hasn't been that much of a departure. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I just wanted to, because I heard uh, Michael Moore talking about this, I wanted to sort of string together these incidents in 1890 and 1968, um, in 2007, and in 2017 and 2018, just to show that there's a level of consistency in the way we approach um, um, these essentially target populations (laughs) and how we treat them. Certain amount of consistency. And uh, we would be well served to stop it. So I encourage you to encourage your lawmakers, your um, president, your vice president, whatever, to do everything they can to rein this in. Uh, Not just because it's strategically incoherent. That's a consideration, but also because it's just fundamentally wrong and immoral. And we shouldn't be doing it. All right, well, that's... That's all I have to say today. I'm going to cut this a little bit short. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voicemail by going to anchor.fm slash strange sound and just click on the voicemail link. Be glad to hear from you. You can also contact me on Twitter at strange sound pod. If you go to big-green.net um, and click on the contact link, you'll find other ways to get in touch with me. Um, you can find other resources there as well. Some of our slightly more ridiculous podcasts. Um, a little bit more information. I would be glad to hear from you, frankly. Um, anyone who wants to push back, uh, add their voice to mine, maybe clarify some of the things that I'm stumbling over in this podcast, be happy to hear from you. Uh, if you want to chime in, I'd be, I'd be happy to play your comments on the air. Uh, I'd be happy to turn this into a conversation. Just uh, by all means, get in touch with me. Hope you have a good week ahead. Um, hope your January is brighter than December was. Please stay safe. Uh, practice social distancing, wear your mask, take good care, avoid COVID, <laughs> try to try to 
Look out for your friends and neighbors, and let's get through this thing. We'll see what happens, right? Thanks for listening. Take care. See you soon.